0: Bienvenidos. Hello and welcome to City Breaks Seville, Episode 9, Flamenco. We all think of flamenco, I think, as a bit of a cliché from tourist brochure Spain. But what I discovered as I was researching for this episode more and more is that it is particularly Andalusian and actually focused especially on Seville. In fact, specifically on that suburb of Seville, Triana, as mentioned in an episode or two ago. It's quite hard to define exactly what flamenco is. It's emotional, it's spontaneous, and yet it's very much of itself, so there must be certain rules and conventions that are being followed. I think what you can say is it's unlike any other art form. It might be hard to define, but you can certainly say too that it defines southern Spain. So therefore I thought an episode to itself was very much a thing to do. So the plan is to go a little bit further into what exactly is flamenco, give a bit of history, talk in some detail about the various aspects of it, the music, the dance, the costumes, etc. Enjoy some quotes from travel writers who went to see some flamenco and wrote about it. Have a quick look at the biography of Seville's most famous flamenco dancer, Christina Hoyos, and also at the Museum of Flamenco Dance, which she founded, in Seville. So that's the plan. Because I was finding it difficult to define flamenco I thought I'd have a look in several of my favourite guidebooks and see what they had to say about it. I found the phrase the soul of Andalusia in the eyewitness guide and also the following definition more than just a dance flamenco is a forceful artistic expression of the sorrows and joys of life. Although it has interpreters all over Spain and even the world, it is a uniquely Andalusian art form, traditionally performed by gypsies. The rough guide put it like this, flamenco is undoubtedly the most important musical-cultural phenomenon in Spain. The sanitised kitsch flamenco, all frills and castanets, exploited as an image of tourist Spain during the Franco period, has been left far behind by a new age, Expressing the vitality and attitudes of a younger generation of flamenco clans. Mustn't leave the lonely planet out, and they have a different take again, describing it as quote, reflective but uplifting, raw but layered, pure yet loaded with historical and emotional complexity. Flamenco is far more than just a musical genre, it is a culture unto itself. And speaking of culture, in 2010. UNESCO added flamenco to its list of cultural heritage phenomena, recognizing that it really is unique. Trying to unpick what it actually is, I kept coming across four constituent parts: they being singing, music, dance, and something called Jaleo, J A L E O, which is defined, I think, best as maybe audience participation. So the idea that the audience join in, perhaps with a clap or a foot stamp or maybe shouting out their appreciation. So then, there are four things that are definitely part of it. I think I'd want to add the costumes. They're certainly something that you definitely notice if you go to watch flamenco. I would add the dramatic gestures, the stances that some of the dancers take. I think I'd add the emphasis on emotion. Definitely full-blooded emotion, but with a sort of underlying dignity as well. Okay, so where did it start? Well, It's got, like so many things in southern Spain, a very mixed ancestry. It's definitely agreed that it started in the Roma culture, so the Gypsy cultures. But that, again, as with so many other things, this mix of cultures the Moorish, the Jewish, the Christian is definitely all in there somewhere, too. It's certainly true to say that the places where flamenco first sprang up were places with a strong Gypsy culture, or places where There was a history of refugees, places like Triana and Cadiz, the port city, where people had come from far away, perhaps felt they didn't have much of a voice, were keen to preserve their own cultures, but gradually, over a generation or two, blended in and added to their culture things from the culture of the peoples that they'd come to live among. In the Lonely Planet Guide, they write about the collision of the three cultures, Moorish, Jewish, Christian, and the, quote, subsequent marinating of their music and culture over three or four centuries, which resulted in what we now know as cante hondo, or pure flamenco. Essentially, it was always an oral tradition until, say, the 19th century, when people began to write some of the songs down and document it, and the golden age of flamenco is deemed to have begun in about the 1840s and continued up until the second decade of the 20th century. A big factor was the opening of something called Cafés Cantantes, so traditional cafes or pubs where there was singing. That's the cantantes bit, I think. Performers would be invited along. They became quite popular. More customers came if there were performers, so more performers were invited, and it grew from there. The first Café Cantante in Seville opened in 1842, and because the phenomenon proved so popular, soon there were many more. Probably the most famous one was opened in the 1880s, something called the Café Silverio, owned by one Silverio Franconetti. Today, Seville, I think, would be deemed to be the city you should go to if you want to see the best, in inverted commas, flamenco, the most traditional. And that you could certainly do, for example, during the Feria de April, which we mentioned in a previous episode. Lots of flamenco singing and dancing there. There's flamenco in many other venues all over the city, and I'll mention a couple of them at the end of the episode. One last historical aside which I found very interesting was the fact that although during the dictatorship, so from the Civil War until 1976, General Franco's regime shut down much of the music industry, one thing they didn't stop was flamenco. In fact, it's thought that he himself was said to enjoy a private flamenco dancing evening every now and again. So, to try and unpick a little bit more what it actually is, if we start with the four constituent parts that were mentioned earlier, and then take it from there. So, song. It's said that there is a repertoire of about 60 classic flamenco songs, some of which are for solo singers, some of which are for groups, some of which are unaccompanied, and others accompanied. You could say, I think, that the songs are often very fierce, even if you don't understand the words, you can tell that. They're full of emotion, usually painful emotion, but not always. It's a type of singing that interacts closely with the guitar. Both singer and guitarist may improvise at times, and so the art is very much about performing together, one reacting to what the other does. And so that gives an element of spontaneity to it. The writers who've described it often mention the yearning sadness that seems to come out of many of the songs, the fact that in addition to the singing, sometimes the emotion is expressed with a sob. But stressing too that they're not all sad, there certainly are joyful ones. Good examples would be the Sevillanas, which are the folk-based songs and dances that you may well see performed and heard sung at the Feria. The music then, the guitar plays a major role Again, some element of spontaneity. The player might insert some phrases, play off the singer, improvise some falsettas, which means little variations, add in a pause here and there for effect, and sometimes tap the rhythms onto the guitar. The dance, I think you'd be safe to describe that as intense and dramatic. A feature is rapid footwork, that creates a rhythm as well. Again, an element of improvisation as the piece develops, so again, feeding off what the singer and the guitarist are doing. It's a dance in which the body is held taut and erect, proud, if you like, defiant almost, head high. Shapes made with arms and hands, movements to accentuate the emotion that's being conveyed. And then the fourth element, chaleo. Definitely the idea that it's a performance, yes, which the audience are going to respond to in some way. Clap a hand, snap a finger, help build up the rhythm, perhaps at an emotional high point, calling out ole, or, more bizarrely, agua, which means water. I'm not quite sure why they shout that out, but I've definitely read that they do. Costumes, that adds to the drama for certain. So the men in tight-fitting suits, the women traditionally in polka-dot dresses with the flounced trains, definitely still seen, The performance we went to was marked really by its quite frequent costume changes. For the most haunting, mournful piece, the one single dancer emerged from the blackness behind stage, dressed head to toe in black, which definitely added to the drama. There was another dance in which two of the women were in black from head to foot and one in red. Castanets may be part of the costume, another way to beat the rhythm, Though in fact we didn't see that. Just as an aside on costumes, Elizabeth Nash in her book Seville, Cordoba and Granada is very interesting on costume. She talks about dressing de flamenca in flamenco style, which can also be called de gitana in gypsy style, or even de farales, which means in ruffles. She describes a typical dress as being bright polka dot flounced frock with a flower in the hair and very possibly a comb or several combs as well. Dangling earrings and a colourful fringed shawl clasped at the waist. We may think the flamenco frock is just what it is, but apparently not at all. If you go to the Felilla, the fair which is held in April, you really need to know, if you don't want to look stupid, what the flamenco fashion is that year, what she describes as the annual vagaries of fashion. So you need to have the right number of flounces, the right width. You've got to have the waistline in the right place. How dropped does it need to be? How cut away should the sleeve be? And you should not make what she calls, quote, the mistake of setting forth in last year's model or colours. And she goes on to quote an English writer, Lorna Scott Fox, who lives in Seville and wrote an article in the Spanish newspaper El País about how she felt when she wore a flamenco dress. She described it as wearing, quote, a different body. And she said she found the whole thing quite disturbing. Here's what she wrote, The tight fit and the swaying weight of so much fabric fluttering to the floor forces you into a majestic rhythmic movement, quite unlike my usual gait. I wanted to twirl round, ruffle my petticoats, sit this way and that. I felt I had an entirely different body created for the garment itself. And Elizabeth Nash goes on to explain that she too has noticed that women wearing these dresses do seem to feel and look just different. Their head and shoulders are lifted more proudly. They sway more seductively. And the last element, which definitely I've seen referred to many times, and yet which is also rather difficult to define, there doesn't seem to be an English word for it. The Spanish word is duende. It's an elusive notion. It seems to be the heart of flamenco, something you have to aim for. It's the feeling of strong emotion, not just felt by the performer, but also communicated to the audience. The rough guide described it as an ethereal quality. And I think all we can say is, if it hasn't got duende, then it's not good flamenco. I found some travel writers who enjoyed flamenco and then wrote about it afterwards. For example, the French novelist André Gide, who was in Spain in 1910, and wrote that he found that nothing at all had, quote, touched a more secret part of my heart than flamenco and here's his description of what he saw and heard on the night that he went to hear some. It was at night, in the vast hall of an inn, a gypsy boy singing. A chorus of men and women, in an undertone, then sudden pauses, punctuated that panting, excessive, painful song, in which one felt his soul expiring every time he caught his breath. It seemed a first draft of Chopin's last ballade, but it remained almost outside of music, not Spanish, but gypsy, and irreducibly, so, to hear that song again, I would have travelled over three Spains, Be Saquil West was in Seville one evening and went to a party, a gypsy party, and was very taken with the development of the flamenco that unfolded as the evening went on, so it started quite slowly and uneventfully with what she described as a few chords on a guitar, but obviously, everybody there knew what was planned because then the singer appeared the poor woman whom she describes as the fattest woman I had ever seen, came out and sat down on a little chair by a fountain and started to sing. She sang, what appeared to be an interminable lament in a voice like a trombone, and as she sang she began to sway backwards and forwards as though she indeed bewailed some personal grief too intolerable for her mountainous flesh to bear. The combination of her grotesque appearance and the magnificently profound notes of her complaint suggested some primeval sorrow, untranslatable, save into the terms of that bellowing song. She goes on to describe the physical beauty of the people gathered there, whom she talks about as being, the most beautiful human beings I ever wished to see. Then she describes how gradually, as the singing continues, dance comes along as well. Again, it starts very slowly. She describes it as little by little, and as if it were impelled by no organised intention. This seems to be a recurring theme, something that starts slowly, almost imperceptibly, and gradually builds up, and is gradually joined by the other people there. At first it was little more than an instinctive balancing of their bodies. Then feet feel into measure, fingers begin to snap and the patio was alive with these strangely undulating and sinuous figures, dancing with a curious intensity in which there was no thought of anything but rhythm and dancing. She too asked the question, what can it possibly mean? And these are her thoughts on that. The whole thing was an expression of sex, love, passion, so impersonal as to transcend anything trivial or ephemeral in the emotion, and to translate it into eternal terms with which the music, The night and the colour were inherently mixed. And thirdly, let's move to a 21st century description written in the book called As I Walked Out Through Spain in Search of Laurie Lee, written by P.D. Murphy. He describes going to a dimly lit bar and finding a little travelling group of dancers and singers from a dancing school called Antonio Gades School. Antonio Gades actually is one of the very best known flamenco dancers ever and he describes this dark little room with an intimate atmosphere, with a stage which he describes as black as night, and, as ever, drama from the beginning, a, quote, crimson phosphorescent oval hovers above the centre of the stripped backstage. And as he waits, singers and guitarists appear, six men, four singers, two guitarists, all dressed simply and elegantly in black, He describes their hair as being long and greasy, said that some of them have beards, straggly wild affairs, as he calls them, and says that there was definitely a hint of menace. Quote, These are outsiders, gypsies. And here's his description of what happened next. They start to play, and one by one begin to sing. A dancer emerges from behind the curtain. He is tall and slight, a starved waif from the slums of Triana. He moves slowly in time to a solo singer, picked out by the spotlight. His easy, controlled movement is in contrast to the straining efforts of the singer, whose bulging blue-and-white veins ripple down his throat, popping like the buttons of his corseted black shirt as he calls the faithful to prayer. The chant from a long time ago is torn from him and reborn, its bare pagan bones scattering on the hard surface. The staccato heels of the dancer stamp and fly in a swirling dance to the death. His arms arc through the air, the body erect and proud, the eyes are dark and all-seeing. The black outfit snakes over his frame, accentuating each point of reference. Marbling long white fingers splay through the air. The young female audience scarcely dares breathe. I just mentioned the dancer Antonio Gades, the best-known male dancer of recent times. And the female equivalent is a lady called Cristina Hoyos, who was actually born in Seville and who very much centred her career around the city of Seville. So I'm going to pause a little biography of her. Born in 1946 in Seville, she began flamenco dancing in the streets of the city and as soon as she was old enough, she started to perform in the taverns and make a name for herself. Her big break came, in fact, when she was noticed by Antonio Gades. And he asked her to join his company, which she did, and where she stayed for 20 years, becoming increasingly famous. She was a lead dancer, she worked as a choreographer, she participated in lots of very well-known productions, some of which were filmed, things like Carmen and Bodas de Sangre, Blood Wedding, which is the Lorca play, performing at first all over Andalusia, but gradually going to other parts of Europe and on to America. After 20 years or so, she left the Gaddis Company to form her own company, which was equally successful, led to her being appointed as director of the Ballet Flamenco de Andalucía. Again, that led to her travelling all over the world, performing things like the Romancero Gitano, translated into English as Gypsy Ballads, by Federico Garcia Loca. But more and more of a reputation abroad, places like Cuba, she was particularly revered, she eventually became known as the Andalusian priestess of flamenco. And although her flamenco dance was very traditional, she was also someone who introduced a little touch of modernism as well, all the while keeping in touch with the pure traditions. I found a description of her on a website called com, which reads as follows. Her upper body movements are fluid and natural, and she respects the orthodox methods of genuine flamenco dance. Never too flash, but always with great respect for a style that is synonymous with Seville. Christina is a protagonist of the Seville school of flamenco dance, and she once said, Times change, they evolve, there are new ways of doing things, but the things that identify a city and a style of dancing shouldn't be lost. Later in her career, she went back to flamenco, where she founded, in the very streets where she'd grown up and first done her flamenco dancing, The museum called the Museo del Valle Flamenco, so the Museum of Flamenco Dancing. Definitely a place to go if you really want to know much more about flamenco. You can find out the history there. There's all sorts of displays photographs, paintings, sculptures, dresses, shawls. There are videos, there are five or six different rooms, I think, and they have video footage of many of the different styles of flamenco, much of them by the great artists of their day, playing on full-size screens that take up the whole wall. If you really want to get into it, I think they offer flamenco classes as well, so you could join and learn. And their stated aim in their brochure is, quote, to teach the soul and origins of Andalusia, its identity and heritage. Here, you can see, hear and touch flamenco. Probably the best thing about it, I thought, was the fact that every evening, two or three times, I think, on most evenings, in, in high tourist season, at least, they have actual flamenco performances in their very own theatre. There are opportunities to see flamenco all over the city but it's quite difficult to unpick which ones would be more than something just thrown together for tourists and I think if you go to the Flamenco Museum you can be fairly sure that what you're seeing is pretty authentic. It's a very small little theatre, quite a small stage in keeping with the sort of places that flamenco has always been performed, intimate. And all of that means, of course, if you don't book ahead, you might find it difficult to get tickets. The other place that I spotted that I thought would probably be a good place to try if you wanted to be sure that you were seeing something relatively authentic is something called the Casa de la Guitarra, so the House of the Guitar, which is a sort of little tiny museum in Santa Cruz, where the walls are lined with glass cabinets, displaying the guitars played by various former great flamenco guitarists. And they too have a daily Espectaculo de Flamenco Tradicional. Again, it's a very small, intimate little space, and they do warn you on their posters about Aforo Limitado, which I think means limited capacity. And a third suggestion I would have is there is the biannual festival called the Bienal de Flamenco, held every even-numbered year, and quite long-standing, I think it's nearly 50 years since it was first arranged. And that's a really well-known festival to which flamenco dancers from Andalusia and indeed other parts of the world come to show off what they can do. So there we have it, three suggestions for places where you might start in looking for an authentic and enjoyable flamenco performance. Well, I hope I've left you with some better idea of what flamenco actually is. I think the key points are probably that yes, it does absolutely define Andalusian culture And yes, it itself is difficult to define. And that really the thing to do if you're interested is to make sure you go and see and hear some if you possibly, possibly can. So that brings me to the end of today's episode. So just a quick look ahead to next week when I'm planning to focus on some of the artistic treasures in Seville. That will involve mainly going to the Museo de Bellas Artes, the main art museum in the city, which is one of those lovely museums where most of what's in there is in fact from the culture of the place that you are, so lots of Spanish art and actual paintings of various things in Seville, so definitely worth a look. But I'm also going to talk about two other less obvious places where you can see some wonderful art. They're two religious charitable institutions where, rather unexpectedly, they have some of the most fantastic paintings by very well-known artists. So that would be the Hospital de la Caridad, which I think translates as Hospital of Charity, and the Hospital de las Venerables, which was a charitable institution for elderly people. I think elderly retired priests, in fact, but both of those worth going to, to see the artwork that they have. So talk about that next week. Possibly add in a little bit of biographical detail on one or more of the Spanish painters most connected to Seville. So that would be Murillo, Sorbanan and Velasquez. So I will sign off by thanking you very much for listening. Muchas gracias. And by wishing you goodbye in Spanish. Adios.